0: Welcome to Cretech Climate Cast, a podcast series devoted to educating, inspiring, and leading the built world to address the world's biggest crisis, climate change. I'm your host, Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech Climate, the leading voice for the real estate industry's commitment to climate tech. Join me each week for 20 minutes as we connect with the world's leading real estate and tech innovators, from VCs, real estate companies, Academic and nonprofit sectors. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it's Michael Beckerman. Welcome to my podcast, Cretech Climate Cast, where I talk to leaders who are helping to decarbonize the built world. I get excited about every podcast I do and every opportunity to talk to and interview people in, in the commercial real estate tech and climate industry. But today, kind of a big deal, the guest that we have on. It's somebody that I've long admired, got to know him recently, and I'm just thrilled and honored that he's on the podcast today. Dan Doctoroff, the founder and CEO of Sidewalk Lab. If you just came in from Mars and you don't know who Dan is, he's one of the most successful, impactful and for me, inspirational leaders in the world of finance, media, government, and now, the last couple of years, sustainable development. So I asked if he would be on the podcast, and he graciously said yes. So Dan, thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast today.
1: Thank you, Michael, for having me. And thanks for that introduction, which if you can see me, I'm blushing. So (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: It's from the heart and it's sincere. Nobody handed it to me. That was That's just me speaking speaking from the heart. So Dan, you've had such a storied career, Bloomberg, Lehman, Oak Hill Capital, uh, working with Michael Bloomberg in the government. I mean, so many varied positions that you've held. And now, obviously, with uh, Sidewalk Lab, I'm just curious, what sort of inspires and drives you to sort of tackle the next sort of frontier in your career? What motivates you to do what whatever you're going to do next.
1: You know, I think at its core, I really want to make a difference. And, you know, I started off my career in finance, and I saw that as sort of a means to an end in order to buy myself the freedom to actually have impact in a much more material way. And pretty much everything I've done since I, believe it or not, started New York's Olympic bid back in I remember. I,
0: I was rooting for you
1: yeah well, it didn't work out, but a lot of great stuff came out of that, and that was always the idea ever since then, I've really been motivated by impact and i you know I can't actually explain why I just feel like you know I've got certain talents and they can be put to use in hopefully reasonably unique ways to make people's lives better. That's what I try to do. It's nothing I- more. Than
0: that. You have, you have, you have, Dan. Yeah, absolutely have. Uh, again, for people of like me that have just been following you and reading uh, from a distance, you, you absolutely have had an impact, probably more lives than you realize. So bring us to Sidewalk Labs. Let's just jump right in. What was the inspiration there and why sort of Alphabet Google as, as, you know, your partner? Like, wh- where did this idea
1: come from and h- how did you put it all together? So, in part, it was the two careers I'd had before creating Sidewalk. You know, I was deputy mayor of New York for the six years right after 9-11, so... Really focused on city building and understanding the problems in cities, thinking deeply about quality of life, particularly as it was impacted by the physical environment. And then at Bloomberg, you know, Bloomberg actually is, when I ran it, you know, we had 15 to 18,000 people. It was the largest technology company in New York. And one of the things that I had started to focus on um, was that if you look at the last couple hundred years, there have been three urban technology revolutions that have completely transformed our cities. The first was the steam engine in the early 1800s. The second was the electric grid in the late 1800s. And the third was the automobile in the early 1900s. But if you actually looked at cities, they really hadn't changed much almost since just before World War II. So, People get around the same way they did. They get their energy pretty much the same way they did. You know, other utilities, um, the way we build buildings, fundamentally has not changed since before World War II. And yet, there's this set of digital technologies that we're all aware of, that we all benefit from, in some cases don't benefit from, that truly have the capacity to transform our urban environments So, you know, we can make buildings today that are meaningfully more sustainable and affordable if we're creative enough. We can move people around in different ways that get them where they need to go faster, that give much more space on streets for people rather than cars. You know, we can provide ubiquitous connectivity. We can get to climate positive in new developments You can even develop new approaches to social infrastructure with the technology that's available, but it's hard. Mm. And I like hard problems, but I also am fairly unique in the fact that I've had these two careers before this. So the idea was, let's try and find a way to harness the power of technology in our urban environments. The good news was Larry Page, um, the founder of Google... Um, had been thinking about the same thing for a very long time. And so he actually approached me and I said, i have been thinking about this too. We came together after about a six-month courtship and formed Sidewalk Labs.
0: I think you're the only person I know, Dan, that can say, when Larry Page approached me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. (laughs) I've been incredibly fortunate to have worked for three of the 10 richest people um in uh the world so sergey brin larry page and mike bloomberg and uh you know i've learned an incredible amount from uh from them
0: yeah incredible incredible so tell us about sidewalk labs today what's so, the mission how what does it do and uh you know some of the work that you're that you're so you know, our, our mission there. is
1: to radically improve quality of life for urban life for for all okay that's our mission we're focused on really enhancing affordability, um, making cities more sustainable and more inclusive. Um, the way we do it, it's kind of unique. We we do two things. And so we started off Sidewalk actually doing two different things. One is placemaking. So we work with developers, um, cities some cases like where we worked on a big project in Toronto that we eventually didn't go through with on our own behalf to bring innovation into physical places. When we do that, we set really ambitious goals um, as a way of forcing us to think deeply about the problems and hopefully develop real insights into the future of the urban condition. And out of those insights, we build companies that hopefully will be dual mission, right? Both make a lot of money and at the same time improve quality of life in cities. So, that innovation flywheel, if you will, um, we have found we can operate pretty well. And I'll give you an example of that. Biggest, big issue is healthcare in urban environments. Mm-hmm. You know, out of some of our early feasibility work, we started focusing on urban health care. We had a hypothesis about the bringing so combining social care, like how do you provide housing security, mm-hmm. uh, food security, access to transportation to get to appointments with a new model for medical care, which mm-hmm. included in-home visits, virtual care and clinic based care. Um, and so we developed this whole concept for it. Uh, we recruited a team, started building sort of a data platform to connect different providers um, of care, which we, the company that we were considering, would be one. Um, and literally four years later, that company called CityBlock is one of the hottest healthcare companies in the United States. It just did its last round of financing at a six billion dollar valuation. Uh, but most importantly, what it's doing is it is improving uh, outcomes for the poorest and sickest in our urban environments and meaningfully lowering the cost at the same time. And, you know, there's a new approach combined technology and basic medical care and a hypothesis about what it takes to actually engage with patients successfully. And it seems to be working so far. But that just reinforces my point that if you think deeply about these things, the technology now exists to do new and different things that can fundamentally improve people's lives.
0: Yeah, and it's why it's so well said, Dan. It's why I'm so I wouldn't say I'm so optimistic, but I'm so hopeful. What gives me hope in trying to galvanize the built world to address its responsibility in terms of climate change is technology,
1: right? Yeah, the, I'm, I'm a total believer. That's a lot of what we do. So we have a huge effort focused on mass timber buildings. Uh, you and I spoke about yep. about that And we've developed an approach, we spent tens of millions of dollars on R&D over the last several years on an approach that involves producing a factory automated kit of parts that will form sort of the core of a building. So structure, facades, interior partitions, as well as floor cassettes that could contain MEP. And our view is, is that at scale... This approach could dramatically lower carbon output, Mm -hmm. um, potentially by if you include embedded carbon, by up to 80%. Mm -hmm. We also think you can produce buildings cheaper and faster. Um, It's a radically different approach. It it does borrow from a lot of things other people are doing. Again, the goal is to make housing and buildings more affordable, but fundamentally make them dramatically more uh, carbon efficient. You know, we have another company that I'm really excited about called Mesa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mesa is a sensor kit, basically, yep. that is backed by artificial intelligence that is easy to install, relatively cheap, that gets installed in class B and C buildings. That, by the way, in New York, at least, people are going to have to respond to local law 97. Oh, Absolutely. Um, and... Um, you know we're very excited about. We just launched it, so it's very early yet. You know, and another example is, um, you know, the the best way to be honest to uh, improve the carbon efficiency of cities is to cram more people in. But often, you know, with government officials and others, any developer knows. You have problems convincing them that by going denser, you're not going to undermine quality of life in terms of whether it's views or it is access, open space, congestion. Um, and we've created this company we call Delve, which uses machine learning and computational design to enable developers and planners and cities to optimize as they're thinking about a project at the very beginning and potentially through the project for like literally dozens of factors like uh, environmental impact, financial performance, as well as a variety of quality of life metrics. So, you know, we're we're constantly trying to come up with new ideas that work for developers, work for cities, um, but that You know, make cities more affordable, sustainable, and inclusive.
0: Yeah, Dan. And I would invite anybody who wants to understand Sidewalk Lab, just go to the website. It's all there. And I'm blessed in the sense that I get to interact with Dan's team a lot. And it's some of the most inspiring and cutting edge technology solutions that you'll see in the built world. So I I hope everybody does take the time to really discover, particularly in the built world, um, Sidewalk Lab. Dan, the other thing I'd love to just sort of like uh, get your thoughts on is, you know, you spent, so much time in the Bloomberg administration in New York. You know, In my humble opinion, the best administration that we've had in the city is transformative in terms of New York. There's no argument about that. People can take issues with certain parts of any political uh, regime, but in my opinion, just phenomenal leadership. And then you spend so much time in the private sector. When you think about the built world, you think about cities, and we've got to decarbonize with a great sense of urgency, which you've shown so much leadership on, What is the role of the public sector in forcing, you know, like you said, local law 97, something which is passed in Boston, California, you know, we do a lot of work in Europe, and you're seeing the new Green Deal, you know, a lot of legislation is forcing the industry to address and get to net zero. What is the role of government in this climate change fight?
1: Look, I think government is generally critical. The question is, does government... Do it in a smart way. And I think cities in particular are are pretty smart at thinking about the policy objectives, but also um, not ignoring um, the economics of the developers themselves. I know that's what the way we operated. We always, before we did anything, we looked at it from the perspective of the property owner or the developer, because it's a pyrrhic victory if what you do is impose constraints um, and they don't build buildings, right? So you know we we were constantly nuanced about that, those trade-offs. That said, if government doesn't act, most likely there won't see change, or you'll you'll see it on the margin. You know, in in everything that I just described, every one of these projects uh, companies that we're creating, there is a role for government to play. Um, you know, in the case of the, the mass timber, uh, building, it's all going to be governed by the building code. Okay. In the case of this company Mesa, that's the retrofit sensor kit, it is going to be aided by the fact that cities are going to push these buildings And owners of buildings to actually become more climate sensitive because they're typically not doing it on their own. But in our view, by the way, the beauty of the solution is we think there's like a less than a two year payback. Mm -hmm. Uh, But sometimes to try new things, developers need to be encouraged or pushed um, Mm -hmm. to make that happen. You know, we talk about delve and getting more density without sacrificing quality of life. You know, ultimately, That's all about zoning. So, you know, government, local government in particular, plays a huge role, as everybody knows, in kind of regulating the built environment. And, you know, I think the goal should be to accommodate innovation um, without stifling it. And that, Hopefully, is what governments will do. And by the way, one of the things I have seen pretty consistently with government is when ci- one city is successful doing something, other cities um, will copy, and so best practices actually do spread pretty quickly. I'm I'm reminded of when I was was deputy mayor. One of the projects that I led was the saving of the High Line, mm-hmm. and oh my uh, we we announced it to great fanfare in. I think the spring of 2008, within like a year, there were 36 Highlines under development around the world. You know, another example, uh, which is near and dear to me because I own this company with some friends called Motivate, which is a parent of City Bike, is, you know, Paris in 2008 or so announced a bike share system Literally within a few years, there were 800 of them around the world. So I I think for the most part, local government wants to do the right thing. And they're willing to look at lots of different places for inspiration. So you've got good ideas, then hopefully they'll spread.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I got to tell you how many times I I go to the Highline and I just still marvel at it. Just, and I know books have been written about it. I'm sure the documentaries. It's just, it's everything that's right that's done right in terms of an urban revitalization of a particular area. And it's just, you know, combined the great, you know, outdoors with just the economic development and everything that's gone on around that area. It's just so inspiring.
1: Yeah, no, it was like an incredibly complicated project sure, um, because every single one of the 38 landowners um, that own property under the High Line had to agree in order to save it and you know this is where financial engineering sometimes comes to play comes into play we created a mechanism to create air rights above basically creating money out of air and then created a market for those air rights that was what enabled the project to go ahead so you know money also plays a role. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Dan, two other questions for you. One, what's next for you? What are you most excited about? What should we be paying attention to as it relates to Sidewalk Labs? So give us a little sense of well, what's, our, what's coming. Our,
1: our goal at Sidewalk is to incubate you know one, maybe two companies a year. We'll look at dozens of them. And again, we're evaluating them based on both impact and potential return, um, so you'll you'll see Sidewalk hopefully um, successfully expand the scope of what we do, but again around these pillars of affordability, sustainability, um, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know that's that's really what we're what we're very focused on. Great
0: final question, Dan. You know you're such a uh, an eloquent statesman and uh, industry icon. You know, and you know, I'm on this mission of trying to decarbonize the built world with a great sense of urgency in a way that really calls out greenwashing bullshit for what it is. And really, as you said, you're looking for impact. I'm 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 looking for impact every day as it relates to climate change in yeah. the built world. Can you help me make the argument to the industry as to why they should be focusing on this issue with the sense of urgency that it requires?
1: First thing is we're all in this together and if we don't do it in cities we're never going to reach anything close to the climate goals we have for the planet. Look, within the next 10 years or something like that, 75% of all emissions are produced out of cities. If people who are building cities, who are running cities aren't going to take the lead, we are never ever going to solve our climate problem and To me, that's the most compelling reason.
0: Dan, thank you so much for all of your inspiration, your leadership, and the impact uh, that you're having on so many people and companies. It's an honor that you came onto the podcast. So I thank you so much for your time today.
1: Michael, thanks so much for having me. See you soon.
0: You bet. If you want to hear more about top industry trends, please hit subscribe and join us on this journey to reimagine real estate. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. To stay up to date on leading climate tech trends and topics, join the CreTech Climate Community by clicking the link in our bio. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us next week.